This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to November. 2020 is almost over, folks. I'm Jeff Kasuf, hosting this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm joined today by Claire Watkins and Harjit Johal. We are going to talk about a bunch of different things happening in the women's soccer world, as we do every week on this podcast. If you subscribe and you listen every week, you know that already. If you don't subscribe, please get on that. Rate, review, hit those five stars. Helps us get discovered by everybody. Um, this week, Claire and I speak about two very big NWSL trades that we have not yet discussed on this podcast and the implications on the upcoming expansion draft, which will dominate what we speak about in the coming weeks. Uh, Louisville, Racing Louisville FC. Don't know why it's not Rossing. That's how it would have been in Spain, but Racing, I get it. Louisville, Kentucky Derby. Racing Louisville FC will be selecting uh, the first bulk of their rosters in this upcoming expansion draft. First, Claire and I are going to speak about the two big trades, one of which was executed by Louisville, and then Crystal Dunn going to Portland in a big three-team trade. We speak about the FA Cup final. Manchester City won again, beating Everton, a very good Everton side. And then Harjit and I speak about Canada's new hire, new head coach, Bev Priestman, who is an old assistant coach uh, and has come back from uh, a couple years in an assistant role uh, with England. So exciting episode for you. Real quick, if you don't subscribe to The Equalizer in written form, equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. We have some really interesting uh, articles, analysis, exclusive interviews every week. You're getting it first. Extra members, you get scoops and breaking news scoops first. Um, this past week, a chat that I had with U.S. General Manager Kate Markgraf talking about how they planned October camp, what they're planning for 2021, and um, by the way, they might be playing in a few weeks. That's part of the plan if COVID allows. So if you subscribe, you knew that already, and you know the opponent based on some other reporting that I've done. So Go ahead and check us out there, EqualizerSoccer.com. Let's get right into the pressing topics of the week here on this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. Jeff Kasuf, Claire Watkins here, back on the Equalizer Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. We've got some exciting stuff to talk about in the present and some catching up to do that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast on the NWSL front, some big trades after the trade deadline, because of course there has to be stuff after the trade deadline. Uh, Claire, uh, the most relevant stuff here, the FA Cup final, Manchester City beating Everton 3-1, um, third goal in the final touch of the game, maybe a bit harsh on Everton, but... Um, wondering what you you took from that game, and you know maybe particularly as as so many people listen to this pod in the U.S. Obviously, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis start in that game. Uh, Sam Mewis with the opening goal for Manchester City. So, uh, takeaways from that game, another title if we should mention back to back here for Manchester City. Right. Yeah. Um, it was a great, great game, and you're right. I think that 
two one probably does does Everton more justice than the final the final three one. Um, I thought it was a good encapsulation maybe of the trajectory of both teams as well. Like I think Everton had a very good off season bringing in Rasso and Gavin, and then. Um, and then I think also just indicative of Manchester City's season, they also had some very big pieces they brought in over the offseason with, you know, Lucy Bronze and Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle. Um, but they were not able to see the game out in, in regulation. And I think that that is indicative of some of the larger issues that Manchester City has been struggling with, especially when it comes to kind of finishing out games um, and, and finishing more than anything. Yeah. Hit the word work a lot today. <laughs> A spectacular pronunciation that I would not have nailed on the first time of Valerie Gavant, who I think is, uh, I think, I mean, I've said this in a few tweets for the past month or two, like I think already the, maybe the, the signing of the season early for, for any team, just for her impact on Everton and how they play. And, um, you know, disappointment to not see her see out that game, which she took a couple of knocks in that final. And I think right. maybe, Maybe it plays out a little bit differently, potentially anyway, you know, if she stays in there in, in extra time. But, yeah, I think Everton, you know, has been impressive. Still unbeaten in league play, second in the table on, on uh, tiebreaker at least and, and right behind Arsenal. So, you know, I think it's been it's been fun to see Everton play. A, a little bit of, uh, you know, some some savvy signings, some smart signings, and obviously talent there, but combined with, you know, this is reminding me a little bit, don't want to circle it all back to – you know, the home front, but like the Houston dash in their ability to get the talent right, but also the system seems to be uh, very smartly deployed. Right. Um, Yeah. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, I think, I think you're totally right about that. And I think, again, if you even think about the flip side of of Manchester city about how they have a lot of talent, but you know, I, (laughs) I tweeted a joke about this today. You know, it's a little bit odd to see Rose Lavelle out on the left. Um, there are reasons why that does kind of make sense considering the construction of Manchester city, but I still think that she is working her way into that project or um, there are still different ways they could get her more involved. And um, yeah, it's, it, it, you're exactly right that Everton has figured out how to absorb a lot of pressure. And I think we have to mention um, MacGyver as well. Their, their goalkeeper who mm-hmm. had a fabulous game um, and then hit on the counter or get that set piece and, and make that happen. And Haley Rasso is the perfect player for that. She's always been, been great at that, even when she was playing NWSL ball. So I think that, um, yeah, it's an evolution of that team. That's been very cool to watch. And then, yeah, on Manchester city side, you can see the ideas and they have a new manager. So you can kind of see some of those growing pains as well, but um, they'll be happy with the win, but they're going to have to consistently keep improving, especially in front of goal. If they want to, um, if they want to compete for that league title, I think. Yeah, no, a great point on goalkeeping. I thought uh, throughout the match, really, on both ends, um, and obviously an extra time there, I think we saw some spectacular season. I thought it was a great game overall. You know, even, you know, I think you can look at the stats, as, as you, you know, alluded to with Everton's style, and, you know, maybe, you know, if you didn't watch it and you look at it and you say, okay, this was one-way traffic, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't at all. Um, so I think a, a, a fun game, you know, obviously with – I guess this is like not even an asterisk anymore. It's like everything is the current state is, you know, no fans. So maybe that's a a bit of a bummer that it was in an empty Wembley, but um, let's talk quickly before we move on to to some other things on a point you brought up on those, those Americans, because I think Sam Mewis scoring in this Epic cup final 
she's been in very good form and, and has been finding the score sheet in different competitions here, FA Cup, uh, League Cup, and, and in league play has, has looked good, has fit into uh, this system, which, you know, as you point out, and, and we've written about uh, Blair Newman, I, I should give a shout out, I've written about on, on equalizersoccer.com, um, some of the little stylistic struggles that, that Manchester City is going through and already a little bit off the pace early here. Um, but Rose Lavelle being deployed a little bit differently, I would say early days and, and a little bit hard to read into too much, but it's been two different starts for, for these um, chapters for these two players. Is that fair to say, Claire? Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, this idea that if you're looking at timelines when it comes to the Americans and the FAWSL, we're seeing things play out kind of the way you would expect, right? You have Sam Mewis who played um, most of the Challenge Cup. She was in, she was match fit when she came over to Manchester City. She went over there um, pretty much as soon as she possibly could once that transfer was finished. Um, and she's been great for them. And her role in, on that team is giving her a lot of freedom. Um, and she's, that's paying off huge dividends for them. Um, and then Lavelle, you know, she was on minutes restriction in the Challenge Cup. There was some question about whether or not she had picked up uh, some sort of an ankle knock this year. So her, she's been working her way into the squad a little bit slower. She got there a little bit later. Um, and yeah, she's being asked to do a new role. She's not kind of that free flowing 10 that she was for the spirit. So it makes sense to me that one is a hit right away. And one is still a very good player. Um, that's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And let's, I think a good point to, to transition there with Mewis, who's obviously overseas at the moment from uh, the North Carolina courage, not on loan because this is how these contracts work. And I'll point you to many different things we've written on, on the technicalities of why, but um, the courage still retaining her rights as a U.S. Federation player still need to protect her in this upcoming expansion draft that uh, we will talk about at length in the coming weeks from the protected player list coming to the actual draft and, and who Louisville selects and how they play that. But I want to talk about a couple of trades here in the NWSL that have happened over the past couple of weeks before the trade deadline. And one, uh, the biggest one, I would say two very big ones, but the biggest uh, involving the courage and to some degree that the fact that they need to protect Sam Mewis, and we always knew that they were going to need to trade a piece and it happened to coincide with um, what became clear afterward, after I would say it was, Roughly a year of rumblings, which is is quite a while, um, but very quiet to begin with, and were shot down very publicly by Paul Riley and, and the courage uh, that that Crystal Dunn was potentially headed to Portland, um, and it became clear afterward here that you know wanted to be in Portland. That was the only destination, really, uh, as as O.L. Rain put it in their uh, press release as they're part of this three-way trade, um, which we haven't talked about yet on this pod. So Crystal Dunn to Portland. Portland Thorns, which is obviously, you know, I, I think if there's one big rivalry in this league, it has been Portland, North Carolina, um, at least of late. And, you know, North Carolina gets in return Casey Murphy uh, from OL Rain and a lot of cash. And then Rain get a lot of cash back from Portland in this trade uh, with uh, this three way trade. So, um, the technicalities, I'll point you to the site because I'll probably just confuse you trying to audibly um, say all these, and, and it's a couple weeks gone, but we break them all down. But the big thing, obviously, done to Portland. Um, Claire, what, what did you make of this? Because uh, I think it does factor into a lot of things, obviously, Mewis and 
maybe when or if she's back in North Carolina anytime soon, and even the protected player lists that are coming up, which North Carolina kind of in the clear, so to speak, now in, in terms of big players, I'd say, and Portland actually in a, an even more complicated situation, protecting two out of five Federation players they now have. Right. I think, you know, this is something that has been rumbling for a while. There was the initial report, right, maybe like two months ago, something like that. And Paul Riley did publicly refute it. Though, if you go back and look at the wording of that tweet, I'm not entirely sure he uh, he was refuting perhaps that it was going to happen eventually. I think maybe he was just indicating that they were not close to getting the deal done, which makes sense because... You hear something like that. You hear Crystal Dunn wants to go to Portland and you think, wow, that seems like a really bad idea for the North Carolina courage to allow that to happen. Um, just, you know, other than just obviously she's a player who has, has served them really, really well and you want her to be happy and, and there's all of that. But it is, it is a, a business and it's a competitive business. So I thought, I had the thought at the time, I said, um, I wonder if they're going to need a third team to get this deal done. You think... Um, of the big three-way trades that we've had in the past, the sky blue Houston, Chicago trade. Um, and, or even if you go back to old expansion, you're reminded of the trade from Houston to Seattle that got Megan Klingenberg to Portland. Like there, there are things that happen this time of year in these expansion years um, that do take a couple teams to get them over the line. Cause I'm sure North Carolina to a certain extent was thinking, you know, we're not going to get a player of her caliber, back because there is no player of her caliber and also it doesn't necessarily behoove them to do that in this year because now they actually are under the line when it comes to their two protected um, allocated players they can use those on Abby Dahlkemper and um, and Sam Mewis and so I think that this is the kind of thing that you only probably see happen in an expansion year because there are other considerations when it comes to the moving of assets where I'm sure North Carolina to a certain extent thought you know we have a need at goalkeeper. That's one of their weaker spot. That's one of their weaker positions right now. Um, what can we get back to a player that we were, you know, we were going to probably lose an allocated player anyway, if not this year, the next year, what can we get back for this? And then also how can we, you know, do a solid by this player that, that has been such an integral member of our team. So um, yeah, North Carolina solved some problems, but they also lost, you know, possibly the best soccer player in the world. So that's tough for them, but you're right. It causes problems now for Portland. Um, but again, the subtext of this, if you have players, this is the second U.S. player that had forced a trade is probably too strong a word, but has indicated that they only had one place they wanted to be, and that was in Portland. Becky Sauerbrunn was the first person to do that this year, and that is a strong piece of leverage that the Thorns have because Louisville is not going to pick players that aren't going to come play for them. So mm. it's a complicated thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, Dunn, I'd say, as you said, I mean, you said even more emphatically, actually, one of, you know, easily one of the best players in the league. Um, and I know a lot of discussion on where does she fit in Portland? You know, I'm even, I'm curious if Portland, if the shape of the Thorns might end up looking a little bit like North Carolina's has in the past, given that you have Haran, you have Dunn, um, you know, Sinclair has been playing in more of a withdrawn role. And then you obviously have uh, Rocky Rodriguez for one, who who is, you know, Obviously, I think um, a starter by all all terms. So um, you kind of have to figure out the shape there. But uh, we'll see, you know, what that looks like. Um, I, I'm tempted to ask, you know, did did North Carolina get enough back in return here? But it's it's an incomplete question at the moment. They got cash back. I think knowing North Carolina's track record, I'm I'm confident they have. I don't know 
quite yet what it is, but I'm confident they have a plan as to how to replace Dunn, which is a very hard player to replace like for like, but um, I'm sure, you know, a, a plan to some degree. And as you said, you know, goalkeeper being a need, um, one of the, the better young American goalkeepers in, in Casey Murphy coming over. So, um, you know, the, the dilemma here, yeah, you know, Portland, and we can, I think this is a good uh, transition to and a little bit here to, to Louisville and what they're doing, but, you know, Portland now, you have Crystal Dunn, who you've just traded for, and you have Lindsey Horan, who um, you very wisely did not have to give up in a trade for that. And, and to your point, I think that's why the direct, you know, if you had to do a North Carolina-Portland swap, how do you get that done, you know, where Dunn goes to, to Portland? I don't know how, if you're the courage, you don't get Horan back. But if you're the thorns, you say, that, you know, that's never going to happen. And, and right. <laughs> that was indicated in O.L. Reign's release, um, press release, that they kind of realized they had to, I don't know if had to, I mean, they certainly made out pretty well, I think with, with cash um, and an international spot, which, um, you know, is something that we've been seeing move around. Um, but if you're the thorns now, you've got Becky Sauerbrunn, Adriana French, Tobin Heath, who's yes, is, is currently away with Manchester United, um, Crystal Dunn and Lindsay Horan, five Federation players. You can only protect two. So let's just say, um, you are protecting your youngest, most valuable long-term players, and that is uh, Dunn and Haran. And if you're Louisville, then you're staring at Becky Sauerbrunn, Adriana Franch, and um, and uh, sorry, Tobin, Tobin Heath. Heath. Yeah. Excuse <laughs> me. Um, so, do, you know, do you, in theory, anyway? I mean, we'll see in a few days if that's happening. But do you? Do you go with a name player who's got a lot of quality who, as you said, Claire, uh, probably is going to refuse to play there or in, you know, at least in like a Tobin Heath case, wouldn't even be available right away anyway? Uh, or do you, I mean, you can go with French, but there's also the new wrinkle of if you don't take any allocated players, you'd have cash and allocation money. So how would you play that if you're Louisville in, in a theoretical world? Do you take any of them or do you try to, I mean, I think I, I just said this to you off air before, like, I think we're too nice in this, this situation. And, and this will lead us maybe to what happened with the Chicago Louisville trade. But like, if you're Louisville and you're looking at that and, you know, I don't know if we should say the thorns are daring you to pick somebody because they can't protect more than two. But like, if you're Louisville, how do you not say, Hey, we're taking somebody if you want her back pay for her and we get somebody back and, and that's how it works. And maybe, maybe you don't do that because there are money incentives to not take a player, but how do you play that Claire? If you're, if you're yeah. James Conner or Christy Holly, I think it's an interesting thing, right? Cause I think probably if I had to guess what Portland would like is they would like Louisville to take French and then that's it. You're done with it. Right. Because they have a goalkeeping system where they have two very capable backups as we saw this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're okay. They are, they said, we will move on from, from French and then Louisville gets their a one goalkeeper. Right. And that also, you know, maybe they even think that's more likely to happen. And we'll talk about the Chicago trade because Alyssa Nair is now protected. She's not going to be available. So um, I'm sure Portland would think that was great. I think they would be okay with that. They would, you know, give AD French a salute on her way out and say, we will take all of our other players. Thank you. Um, but if you're Louisville, I don't, it just depends on kind of how you want to play it. Because if you're Louisville, do you take French or do you take 
and this is where I think with a play with a team like the Thorns, why would you not take Simone Charlie mm-hmm. and Madison Pogart, you know, and and get two young, really promising players and say, we actually don't need your allocated players. We want to take some of your your developing youth in the system that you have created where you have a lot of really capable players. We're going to take those players instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. I think there's a lot of different ways you could play it. I think I know what Portland would like to happen. Um, I think they do have a lot of leverage in that, you know, Sauerbrunn has made it clear that she would like to retire in Portland. And I think Heath has no reason to have to even come back from England if she doesn't (laughs) want to. So um, that's, they have a lot, they have a lot of leverage. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I think probably if I were Louisville, I would look at my goalkeeping options. Um, And that is a position that you can find a lot of very capable Mm -hmm. people. And then I would say, maybe I want to take from Portland something different than their allocated core. Yeah. All all great points. I think we do focus on allocated players and, and Rory Dames, even on the the conference call for the Chicago trade right after it was announced uh, was, you know, mentioned this. I actually asked him, you know, about allocated players specifically in the protection. And um, he said, it's not just about allocated players. And I think if you're Portland, yeah, the, the worst case scenario might actually be Louisville doesn't take any allocated players, but gets, you know, you can only protect those, those 11 overall. So, you know, gets a very good younger player who you are very high on and you can only protect so many. And, you know, these, these better teams have, you know, whatever it is, 14 deep or so of players who you see with long-term futures at your club. So I think that could be the play for Louisville. And especially as, as the point you touched on at the end, goalkeeper is a position that remains, um, overstocked, so to speak, you know, there's a lot of good goalkeepers available, whether they're on a bench in the NWSL already or had to go overseas because they didn't get many opportunities. And and by the way, you know, Casey Murphy is one of them involved in this three-way trade who was, or was one of them only, you know, a year and a half ago, and then came back from France and had a great year with OL Reign. So um, I think it's a position that you can find a little bit more easily, you know, to fill in, in different, um, more more cost efficient ways i guess so you know that's probably the way for louisville and you made the point um you know a listener not available you know the other big trade which i will uh continue to <clears throat> uh, harp on about it being four days after the trade deadline and the <laughs> uh public not supposed to be public announced oh, you're telling me deadline Jeff. uh and arnim whistler told us that they had to get a hold of the players which i absolutely support but that doesn't or should not take four days. Um, so that's my, my usual inside baseball media spiel that, uh, so anyway, four days after the trade deadline, we had a big one. Uh, Yuki Nagasato, Savannah McCaskill are the players headed to Louisville in a trade, which, uh, was a little bit complicated in some degree in the sense that, um, it did not, uh, there was a trade for, Expansion draft immunity, which has been a handshake deal in the past, but has never been explicitly traded for. And Rory Dames, Arnim Whistler told us on this call that we were both on that um, you don't know till you ask, I guess. And they asked, is this something we can trade for? Uh, so five Federation players for Chicago, at least 2020 Federation status, all protected. And more importantly, the entire roster protected, which is what Rory Dames harped on. You know, Vanessa Bernardo, Daniel Colaprico type players of the world who, of Chicago, let's say, I hate that phrase of the world, uh, and I used it, but, you know, integral to Chicago and the Red Stars now can't be touched. And, 
in this expansion draft in return, they send a 2021 first round pick as well as an international slot for 2021 and 2022 to Louisville, which is interesting because both these trades we're talking about have international slots trading hands. And I I have heard um, some interesting rumblings, nothing too confirmed at the moment, but some, some intriguing sort of rumblings of, of international players that are targets for different teams across the league, not just the ones we're, we're talking about here, but um, Claire, you're, among the best, the best on the Chicago beat. You're right in there every day on the Red Stars, uh, you know, a pulse on what's going on. Uh, what do you make of this trade, losing two significant players that Louisville really wanted, but you protect the rest of the roster? Yeah, it. I mean, obviously, I think I had the same reaction that everybody else did, which is that that feels like a lot, right? And you're not used to, especially in recent memory, Chicago giving up a lot. Usually they make these deals where they come out ahead. Um, and I think there were some circumstances here, as, as kind of explained by, by Arnhem Whistler and, and Rory Dames after it happened, um, where Louisville had a lot of leverage. I think one of those things was an underrated issue for Chicago is that um, their backup goalkeeper, Emily Boyd, tore both her MCL and her ACL in Denmark about three weeks ago. And so that goalkeeping position got thrown into a lot more disarray than perhaps they were hoping for when it came to leverage with Louisville. I don't think that they wanted to play any games with Alyssa Nair, um, having lost Emily Boyd for the season. Um, I think also, you know, we talk money, right? They needed to protect their allocated players, but the step past that actually more than anything, and fans can take or leave this, but I think that this is true. (laughs) Whether you think this is a good reason or not um, is is up to you, but I think probably Yuki Nagasato was making about the um, non-allocated max, so assume maybe around $50,000 a year, and I think Chicago was concerned about carrying that salary on for another, you know, a year plus an option and have to take and have to also compensate the players that they are anticipating coming off of allocation. So um, I don't know if anybody remembers in the U S women's national team lawsuit filing um, Morgan Gatra was under severance. So I think the indication is probably that she's coming off of that allocated status soon. Um, you can make your own judgments about where you think Casey short might be on that list. But um I think Chicago was afraid about cap space. They were afraid about cap overhead. And so part of the Yuki Nagasato choice is that she's 33. She's going to be 34 next year. She's one of their most expensive players. um, And Louisville wanted her. So whether all of that is good enough, I don't know. But that is a little bit closer to the why, I think. Um, And then, you know, it probably just depends, like you said, on whether Chicago is targeting someone internationally or if they think that they can entice someone who's quite good in the 2021 draft because that's going to be a very strong draft class so that's probably the best explanation I can give on Chicago's end but I think I just have to say that Louisville had a lot of leverage Chicago wanted to get the deal done and Louisville got some stuff that they wanted yeah, and I will say, you know, on that call, I did make note um, the call with with Arnold Whistler and Rory Dames. The finances were brought up at least three times. Like, I mean, yeah. it was it was clearly emphasized in in this. And I think, as you point out, that's that's several fold. Yuki Nagasato was going to be out of contract at the end of this this calendar year, so that's something that 
Louisville will obviously have to figure out. And, um, you know, the allocation, as you mentioned, I think it's, it does seem like Morgan Gattrall come, would be a candidate to be coming off of that potentially. And, you know, this is where um, I think we were wondering when allocation money, which is almost exactly a year old at this point from announcement anyway, you know, that, that Chicago was involved in some of these deals. And, and you know, at the time, um, Chicago is not a team that traditionally has gone to the international market that much. That might change. But that can also be used in, you know, some of these cases where these players who are making either 70 or 75,000, if they're a U.S. player, you know, allocated in 2020, they need to be offered 65% as a, as a sort of a matching offer if they come off of allocation or they become sort of free picking for any team to make an offer. So, you know, potentially using that type of allocation money to pay a, let's say, Gatra if it's her, if it's Casey Short, whoever it is, and, and not have to reach into the pocket, you know, the, the, the main pool, so to speak, if you're Chicago. So I think a lot of factors there. And uh, it was very clear to me from, from that discussion that money was a big factor here. I mean, take it or leave it, like it or not, like you said. Um, I think that is a reality we've talked about with Chicago before. And, and uh, it's a reality for any team, but, you know, allocation money makes the playing field slightly slightly different. But I, we should say, you know, Savannah McCaskill is someone who Rory Dame spoke highly of a lot. Uh, he brought up again last week that that run in the 94th minute or whatever it was in the Challenge Cup that seems to be like the the big anecdote for her potential. Um, and potential is probably still the word with her. But Yuki Nagasato, you know, Sam Kerr left, obviously, as we know, obviously. But, you know, Nagasado was a big part of that success with Kerr, maybe an underrated part. Um, 2020 didn't give us much of a year to say what's it look like with Nagasato and the sort of um, replacement by committee with Kilia Watt as one big example. But, you know, this is a big piece lost for Chicago, even if she was coming out of contract, even if she's on the older side, you know, this is a big loss in the midfield, you know, the, the midfield attacking line, let's call it between lines for Chicago. So, yeah. Um, right. And I think that this is again, where we'll have to see the pieces kind of fall in the future, but um, you know, Savannah McCaskill was a player for Chicago that always had a lot of promise and she is kind of an odd, she's kind of an odd one in that she's been very good, but she was never quite very good for the red stars. Um, obviously she was very good in college. She got looks with the U S women's national team, um, in her first year as a professional, she was very good in the W league with Sydney FC when they won mm -hmm. the W league, um, in 2019. So I think that all of those pieces were there, but it never fully was, was realized from a Chicago standpoint. Um, and so it's hard, it's hard to analyze because I think that her value in this trade is predicated on what happens next. And I'm not sure what happens next is entirely her fault. She's had a lot of different coaches in her career. So I hope that she's able to make that pivot to Louisville and she's, you know, back with Christy Holly and right. hopefully that will go well. But um, yeah, knowing the value of this is going to probably just depend on how she does in the future. And right. I think that what we're seeing is genuinely Chicago moving on from, from that 2019 squad mm. and that style of play. I think that they, what they were doing in the fall series was very different than what they were doing in 2019. And um, Nagasato wasn't there for the fall series. So I wonder if they thought, you know, we can make this work if we have to give her up. Right. Yeah. Holly obviously rates McCaskill and, and has some, some front and center experience, I think in, in, you know, seeing that. And I agree with you. I was going to say, I think, 
you know, the peak of that, of, of what we've seen from her was that W league season, um, I guess two winters ago at this point, but, um, yeah, that's, you know, we, we haven't quite seen it in the NWSL, but she's, she's 24. Um, you know, I'm sure still time to see it, but still kind of just feels like one of those things or one of those players, maybe that we've been talking about that for a couple of years, maybe just, just waiting for it. So, um, yeah, let's see, let's see what happens. I'm curious, you know, we'll see what, uh, Louisville has to, to do and say about the expansion draft, which we will talk about at length on this podcast in the coming right. weeks. Um, we'll have the, the protected lists and maybe do a little bit of a mock mock draft with those um, the week after yeah. this. My only other thought, and, yeah. and I've said this from a Chicago standpoint, and I've said this to Chicago fans now that they've already been through it, but um, I do think that there's a little bit of this idea amongst the NWSL media that this Louisville expansion draft or even like the LA expansion process next year is going to be like Orlando, which is that a lot of teams were able to utilize Orlando's inexperience in the space to really protect themselves. I just don't think that's happening this year. (laughs) I think everyone's going to lose someone that they think is really good. Um, Mm. And that's good for the league. It's not good for them if expansion teams are bad. That's another thing that Arnhem said. Um, you can't just be working over every expansion team because then that messes with the the parity that the league prizes so highly. So um, I think everyone should kind of buckle up because you're going to lose someone <laughs> that you like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, the warning shot has been fired there by Claire. And, and yes, you're right, 2022 uh, LA, where I think just about everybody is going to want to play and that'll be fun to see how you know those requests get honored or or figured out and you know if we're to believe everybody or anybody that would be a double expansion year with Sacramento but uh it is now November and we still don't have an official announcement about that for like the fourth straight month so um it's still happening as everybody tells me but for some reason it's not announced so we'll see um until then uh we'll come back after this uh, I'm speak with Harjeet Johal uh, about Canada and the new hire there. Bev Priestman, the new Canada soccer, Canada, Canada women's national team coach who uh, was just announced this past week and is a very familiar face. Uh, this was some good NWSL chat. Thanks, Claire. Um, and a little bit of FA, well, not FAWSL, but FA Cup chat. And um, we'll have a lot more coming up on NWSL in the coming weeks, but uh, stick with us for this uh, short break and we'll be back with some talk about Canada. What's up everybody. Jeff Kasouf here, founder of the equalizer. I want to make sure that you know, we also have another podcast called kicking back, which is interview based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kicking Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer podcast. Harjit Johal joining the podcast, the Equalizer podcast, uh, our resident Canada expert, Canadian women's national team expert. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. It's a great day to talk Canada women's <laughs> national soccer team, and it's sunny in Vancouver, so it's a great day. Uh, well, it's it's been uh, disgusting here in Connecticut and New England, but 
uh, we had an amazing fall. So I guess I can't complain too much. It's just, uh, the weather has definitely turned. So, um, let's talk Canada. I mean, we, we probably don't talk enough about Canada. Um, and certainly the news of the week, a lot of news this week, as, as we've touched on some in this podcast, but, um, Canada finally hiring its, its new coach, been without a coach for a few months now, uh, since Kenneth Heiner Muller left for the uh, head of football uh, coaching job in Denmark, but uh, obviously no games, not much happening. So maybe not the most uh, incredible deal that there wasn't a coach during that time, but Bev Priestman, uh, who's a familiar name to Canada and to Canadian fans, uh, an assistant coach under the previous, the, the John Herdman regime, two regimes ago, I guess, and did a lot with Canada when she was here for five years, the Excel program, which basically oversaw the entire youth national team set up. And within that, she, she led and coached a bunch of the youth national teams at uh, regional events and, and World Cups and assistant to Herdman uh, at a couple major tournaments where uh, Canada had at least some success, certainly in, in Rio with another bronze medal. So, uh, Harjit, you wrote a column for us on EqualizerSoccer.com for our uh, extra subscribers this week, uh, last week, about what uh, Bev Priestman brings to the table and her hire. And you said, you know, it's a sensible hire, but also somewhat of a surprise. What did you mean by that? What do you think of this hire from Canada? Yeah, I definitely think it was a surprise. And just talking to a few other colleagues that cover Canada, I think they felt the same way. You know, she wasn't initially on the radar for the job. I think maybe as some of the big names in women's football kind of got checked off and kind of got jobs you know, New Zealand and Australia and England, I think kind of they had to maybe circle back and kind of go over maybe some other candidates. And I think Bev's name emerged and, you know, she has a history with Canada. And I think that's something that appealed to the CSA, having someone that they've worked with previously that's familiar with how the setup is and really knows a lot of the younger players. So I think, you know, even though Bev was over with the Lionesses for the past couple of years, you know, this still feels like an internal hire because you're bringing in someone, you know, it's not someone that's completely new. So it feels like they, they made a, a strong choice, but maybe a surprise for most people. Yeah, and a, a good point there. You touch on uh, Priestman left for almost exactly two years to go to England, joined Phil Neville's staff with the senior national team um, and, and had some other roles that just accepted uh, a role about a month earlier, a month or two earlier uh, with England to, to lead uh, the youth national side, um, the U17 team into the, uh, the, the next edition of the World Cup um, in India next year. So uh, maybe a bit of a surprise there, as you say, you know, I just accepted a role and obviously at a time when um, this was past the point at which uh, Canada's previous coach had, had left Kenneth Hyman Muller. So um, I want to ask you, you know, you alluded to it a little bit, you know, there were some big jobs on the market despite this pandemic of, of uh, you know, Australia where Tony Gustafson, uh, former U.S. assistant, took the job and I think a, a very good hire. And I think there's been a lot of praise there, obviously a lot of success when, when he was uh, on multiple staffs for the United States over the past decade. And then uh, England obviously filled with, with Phil Neville leaving. So, um, you know, I don't know if maybe the leaving in the future, I should say, but, um, you know, I don't know if that maybe at all affected Priestman, but what, what was your sense from what you were hearing, uh, even if maybe not names, but what was the ambition level, do you think, of Canada soccer in trying to fill this job uh, from the outset? Were, were they after 
big names? Were they looking creatively? Was, was there an importance to have somebody familiar with the system? I think it's hard to say who Canada soccer really targeted as their, you know, top few choices. They really keep everything internal in house. They don't really, you know, tell you even when they started speaking to Bev or give away very much. But I know that Rian Wilkinson was obviously regarded as a top candidate and maybe a next up and coming coach. And I think most of the media that covers Canada thought that, you know, she was going to be the one to get the job, kind of, the, you know, the last person standing. So I think Canada wanted someone who's familiar with, you know, the program. Kenneth Hunter Moeller, he had, you know, an up and down tenure with the CSA and the women's national team. And he's, you know, although he was with working with John Herdman, I think it's kind of still an outsider in that regard. And where Bev comes in, I think, you know, there's that familiarity. She knows a lot of the younger players and how they operate. I think that's kind of what they wanted to, to get back to. And we speak a little bit about John Herdman. She's kind of got the same, you know, the learnings and mannerisms and style that John had. And I think maybe there's a sense that we can maybe go back to what John did and see if we can get that magic back with the national team. And John Herdman now obviously leading the Canadian men's national team. That's, that's what he left the job for. Uh, a couple of years back when Kenneth Heiner Muller took over and we should note when Bev Priestman left for England, which, you know, was seemed to be a related events to some degree. Um, but let, let's talk about that. The, the Herdman era of, of potentially going back to that style. Um, everybody might want to look at now, where does Canada go from here with this hire? Um, there were some struggles, certainly the past year plus year and a half at this point with you know, you incorporate the World Cup that um, Canada was uh, some up and down results. And I'd say some really, really tough times last fall. There was a point at which things looked pretty rough when the Tokyo Olympics were supposed to be very close and are once again very close. Um, what should people be excited to go back to a Herdman-like style if, if we're comparing it? Because there was success. There were two bronze medals. I think you could also say there, there was a... Um, while there was a bite and a fight, there wasn't maybe the technical progression to some degree that might be needed several years later now? I think maybe the bark didn't match the bite. There was a lot of, hey, we're going to beat the U.S., we're finally going to beat the Americans. You know, we're still waiting for that to happen, for Canada to beat their neighbors to the south. I know you're smiling right now, but... The Canadian said that. The Canadian said that, not the American. Let's note that. Yes, yes, we were always talking about that. But, you know, in terms of kind of going back to the Herdman era, you know, there was a lot of confidence with that team. There was a lot of swagger that they could beat anyone on any day. And I think fans need to maybe temper expectations because this is an older team that we're looking at now. Yeah, they have a lot of younger players and up-and-coming players. But, you know, as far as Christine Sinclair goes, that's who – the offense goes through. That's where, you know, the offense is the bread and butter is. So Christine needs some help scoring. And, you know, a few of the players that are on this team were maybe thinking about retiring after the Olympics. So, you know, there's a lot of onus on the younger players to step up and kind of take over that next wave of up and coming talent. And so you have to see if this is maybe a transition period for Canada and we'll see if Bev Pressman can kind of manage both things. She's got a lot on her plate. And, you know, with the pandemic, there's no camp for the national team. There's no games on the horizon. So she's got her, her work cut out for her. Okay, so 
we're talking about expectations and maybe you mentioned even a possible transition period. Um, this hire is not just about the Olympics, which are very close and, and obviously still plenty of uncertainty, not just about that tournament, but how anybody prepares for that. And Canada, as we know, and you've written, is not exactly the most uh, frequent to play type of team anyway, certainly at home. So what, if you, in your opinion, is, is this higher, is this really about getting things right for 2023, potentially at the sacrifice of the Olympics or are the Olympics still, you know, I mean, two time defending, defending is a, a strange term for that one, but back to back bronze medals, I guess there's an expectation there. Well, I would say defending. I think that's how it's kind of viewed up here. Back to back bronze medalists. That was put on a shirt at one point. <laughs> I mean, it's an achievement, but it's also, you know, it's a strange one. I mean, you wouldn't say back-to-back defending third-place finishers at a World Cup, but I get it. Um, it is it is an accomplishment. I'm not I'm not uh, denouncing that. But. but to answer your question, I think, you know, they want to see how well the team can do at the Olympics in Tokyo. They want to see if those, you know, veteran players, if they've got, you know, a a lot left in the tank where they can kind of boost that national team to own the podium to get up there and, and earn a, a medal that's a bit better than bronze. So I think they're going to, you know, go for it and see if they can get one last hurrah from, you know, some of the older players. But, yeah, this definitely is a transition period. And Bev knows the, the young players from the U17 levels and, and how they work and how they can integrate. So I think – you know, they want to get a medal in Tokyo, but then also kind of give a bigger role for the younger players. And if, you know, if you go back to France in the World Cup, Kenneth Hunter-Muller was hesitant to kind of throw the younger players out there and kind of give them an opportunity. You know, Jordan Haitima, she really didn't get a big chance to showcase what she can do in France. And She's doing great with PSG. So I think, you know, that's someone I expect to take maybe a next step with Bev Priestman and kind of showcase what she can do. Yeah. Own the podium sounds like one of those internal documents that, that gets leaked like years later and has some ridiculous goals and theories in it. But um, well, some of these, I mean, you just mentioned one player, I think, but as we look at a potential transition, I think we've been talking about this for a little while with this Canadian team. And obviously Christine Sinclair is still playing at a very high level. I think there are other areas of the field where there has been transition and it's, you know, there are more maybe where it certainly looms. Who, who do you look at? I mean, Jesse Fleming is an obvious, you know, big young name um, has obviously had to fight for some time and, and, reps, I guess, at Chelsea here in this, this early days, these early days. Um, but, you know, who are you looking at? Certainly there's the long-term, which or short-term, you know, medium-term is 2023. But for this Olympics, uh, who, who's a young player that, you know, or a few young players that you think in this Olympics that need to step up or that, you know, need to be given a chance? I think it's more of a, a collective. They need to have the younger players step up. It can't just be one younger player that kind of comes in and and puts the team on her back. It's got to be, you know, a group effort to kind of help out offensively and create the chances. I think, you know, Janine Becky is a player that has been playing over with Manchester City. And I think she can, you know, she could be a great striker up top next to Jordan Hytema with maybe Sinclair supporting just below. So I look at Janine and Jordan as some, 
someone, two players that can really step up. And you've mentioned Jesse Fleming. I think she's, you know, she's so creative. She's so dynamic in the midfield. And, you know, we kind of need someone who can have the offense go through her and kind of set up players like Janine and Jordan up top. So I think it's more of a, gl- a group effort from the younger players to kind of find some cohesiveness where they can kind of gel offensively. Group effort. That's the politically correct answer, Har. I did not expect that from you. Um, <laughs> what? All right. So big picture here, you know, let, let's do some, some predictions here. What, what is success for Bev Priestman? Um, Olympics longer term is world cup, which is very hard to predict, but you know, this is a difficult year to enter. I think any job she has roughly seven, eight months to prepare for an Olympics, assuming everything happens, which is maybe a big assumption in the year we've had. Um, what do you expect at this moment from Canada? Let's say at the Olympics to start, because that's, that's the nearest term. I think expectations have to be to win a medal at Tokyo. You know, yeah, Beth Pressman is new, but anytime you have Christine Sinclair, the, the greatest all-time goal scorer in football history, and yes, she's Canadian, I think you have to go for a medal as, as long as you have her on your roster. And I think, you know, nothing short of that would be a disappointment. I know from being at the World Cup, you know, the CSA was devastated. They were extremely disappointed to see Canada knocked out of the round of 16 they had them going a lot farther. And so I think, well, you know, in the U.S., it's gold or it's the World Cup or bust. I think here in Canada, the expe- expectations are, are also quite high. And I think, you know, you play to win the game. You don't go there to get a bronze or to get eliminated. So I, I think Canada's got big expectations, too. And hopefully they can move forward and take the team to another level. I think that might be the first time we've had a Herm Edwards reference on this podcast. So, well you done. You know who Herm Edwards is. I'm impressed. Uh, I, I know a little bit of football, but I'm, I'm sure you've got me on that, that topic, at least from a Patriots, maybe AFC East uh, standpoint there. So I do know Herm Edwards and uh, Denny Green had a great one. And why am I blanking on it? Herm Edwards was you play to win the game. Yes. Denny Green, it'll come to me later. He had a great one. The great Denny Green, the late Denny Green. Um, he was crowning them. No, that was a different – it was uh, – It was. we let him – yeah, we let him walk away with it. We let him win. Uh, it was something to that degree, which will come to me afterward, and someone will yell at me who's my, – my football days, my football coverage days were a while back. But, um, well, cool. I, I think, you know, let's, let's end it with this. I was going to say this week for Canada soccer fans – I guess must be exciting from the fact that you have a coach now and you have some direction and clarity. Um, but, but let me ask you, I mean, what's the temperature? Is, is it excitement around this hire in the future? Is there uh, some, is there an underwhelmed feeling in terms of it being that semi internal hire? What, what's the feeling in Canada? Yeah, I think there's a level of excitement, a level of, yay, the the women's national team is back in the news here. There's some news. There have been four and a half months since Kenneth Heather Morler was announced as departing. And so we were kind of waiting to see what Canada was going to do. Were they going to name a coach before the end of the year? So it's good that, you know, they took that initiative and they've got Bev in that role. So I think there's excitement 
And I know fans, they want to see that team back on the pitch. They want to see some camps, maybe some some friendly matches. But with the pandemic, we just don't know what's going to happen. I know last week the, the CSA canceled training camps and, and games for the, both the men's team and the women's team for the remainder of the year. And so we'll see what happens. There's some early windows in early February. And you hope that, you know, Bev will be able to have a camp. I understand that. Um, her wife and their young son are going to be moving to Vancouver in February. And so if there is a camp, maybe it'll be based out of Vancouver. Or we'll see what happens. But this was a big step to kind of get to that next step where they can start preparing for Tokyo. You know, if you don't have a coach, it kind of makes it hard to win. There you go. That's, that's Herm Edwards level advice right there. Need a coach to win. Um, although, I know there are players that will argue that. I've, I've heard it before. Uh, so, all right. Well, Harjit Johal, uh, good to talk Canada soccer. Uh, let's do this more often. they got to play some games for us to, to do this more often. I think that's the – We've the been saying thing. that for years, Jeff. <laughs> so, hopefully, uh, as you said, first window is February 15 to 23, I believe, is the exact dates for that window. Um, and maybe a January training camp. Who knows? Um, no, she's giving me a face, but we'll see. Let's let's hope to see them on the pitch soon. Let's hope to see some some international soccer soon in in our parts in our neck of the woods. Um, well, thanks for joining me, Har. Thank you very much for having me. That'll do it for us here on the Equalizer Podcast this week. Really enjoyed the chats with Claire and Harjit about NWSL and Canada and a little bit of FA Cup in there. I think we've got some really fun times ahead for us, folks, with NWSL unprotected, protected lists, which are going to get really intriguing. We touched on that, obviously, today. And then the expansion draft itself. So uh, I think next week you can expect some version of a mock draft uh, if, you know, us playing the role of Louisville and potentially uh, some other teams. So let's hear from you all in the coming week about what you would do once we see these lists. I want to hear from you. Tweet us at Equalizer Soccer on Twitter and let us know who you would pick if you're Louisville once we get these protected player lists. And we'll see how it plays out, and we'll maybe uh, mock it out a little bit next week. So thanks for listening. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time, I'm Jeff Kasouf here on the Equalizer Podcast.